Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This episode is brought to you by Epsilon and their award-winning People Cloud loyalty solution. Personalization should be integrated into the entire customer experience, including, of course, your loyalty program. With this in mind, Epsilon recently released a guide outlining six key components that will put you on the path to personalizing your entire loyalty experience. This guide challenges you to do some housekeeping and reconsider how you think about your current and future loyalty personalization efforts. So, to download your copy of the report, visit epsilon.com forward slash Let's Talk Loyalty. Hello and welcome to episode 201 of Let's Talk Loyalty. And today we're bringing back a very popular guest from our friends and sponsors in Epsilon. Joseph Taylor is the Senior Vice President of Strategic Consulting and Operations for Epsilon Globally. And he joins me today with a thought-provoking idea and a loyalty strategy that we actually haven't discussed on the show before. It's the idea that while loyalty programs are, of course, traditionally designed to retain our customers, in fact, the data they hold can also play a huge role in acquiring profitable customers too. I was intrigued to find out more about the concept, giving all of us as loyalty marketers a smart new way to leverage the known profiles of our existing top customers to acquire more of the same. Quite simply, it's the idea of prioritizing quality over quantity when your acquisition campaigns are being planned. And I really think this idea is going to be increasingly important when cookies do finally disappear, as we all know is going to happen soon as a tool for our customer acquisition. I hope you enjoy listening to how this fascinating idea is already working in practice. So we talk through some great case studies and some results that Epsilon has achieved already using this approach with some of their clients. So Joseph Taylor coming back to Let's Talk Loyalty for a second time. Welcome back to us. Thanks, Paula. And uh, nice to be back on your program again. Thank you. It's wonderful. And actually, it was what, April 2020 in the the early, I think, uh, almost frantic days of the pandemic when you first joined us. (laughs) It was. It was indeed. Oh, my goodness. Well, things are much better now, thankfully. So um, a lot has changed in that time, Joseph. And I know we have a wonderful conversation lined up today. And I will say for people listening, this particular topic that you've um, talked to me about before is actually one I haven't really had on the show. So I'm very excited, quite intrigued to hear what you're doing. Um, But before we get into the actual topic of the conversation, why don't you start by telling all of us again your favorite loyalty program? Absolutely. Um, I really like this question because, again, like many of the other speakers um, that you had on your show before, yeah. I'm also a member of so many programs as well. But um, yeah, the, the one I particularly like, 
is the current sort of refreshed Marks and Spencer's um, Sparks program. Okay. It's um, it's a digital loyalty scheme and everything is obviously now done through a mobile app, but um, it's got a very highly engaging experience. It's It has personalized offers. It's got weekly competitions and price draws. And, and the bit that I like the most are the surprise and design elements. Okay. Instant gratification reward model. So mm-hmm. it's a bit different than your traditional yeah. Um, a model of saving points, right? And redeem against yeah. rewards later. Yeah. Um, but they've also been kind of very smart in how they collect first party data. So for instance, the other day, I've received um, one of their emails asking me to set reminders for the birthdays of my family members. And Ooh. in return, of course, yeah, they promise to send you personalized offers um, for these special occasions. So yeah, quite, quite a smart way of how wow. yeah, they try and engage with you and collect data for sure. Oh my goodness. I love that idea, Joseph. That's genius. Definitely Marks and Spencers are obviously keeping up with the trends, especially around this whole concept of instant gratification for sure. Yeah. And it's such a beloved brand as well, Joseph. You know, I mean, I grew up, I think, you know, in Ireland and actually we used to call it Marks and Sparks. Like that was our name for the brand. (laughs) (laughs) So the fact, I I think that must be what everybody does. And that's obviously why it's such a beloved program name, even to to call it Sparks. Um, But I've heard it described before as a very smart program. So that's a really good, I think, tangible example of how can you build, I suppose, the profile of your member at meaningful times, but in a way that's also beneficial to them. I just really love that idea. I completely agree. I, I couldn't agree sort of more. It's, you know, it's it's just it's just one of those programs that they're really, um, yeah, keeping up with the trends and they're really understanding sort of the yeah. value that they, they bring to their consumers for sure. Yeah. And I think as well, you know, in the UK, the, the whole privacy piece is so sensitive that um, I'm sure their legal people have been managing this now within an inch of their lives to get that kind of permission and to be obviously very transparent about it. Mm-hmm. So I do think, you know, privacy is something that I think scares most loyalty marketeers, if I'm honest. But mm-hmm. again, with a lovely program and clear benefits, you can ask for this kind of information in a way that's of benefit to the member. Hundred percent, and 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 again, we'll we'll talk about this in in a little bit. But yes, definitely, you know, the whole privacy yeah. um, considerations that you need to take into account, but also the value exchange. So, why yeah. are are you asking members to give you their data? What are you giving them in return? What exactly are you sort of pressing that data for? But I think yeah, it's really about that value exchange, and and it's so crucial with uh, with yeah. a lot of these programs, especially loyalty programs. Totally. And I remember from our last conversation now, you have actually been working in this industry about 20 years, Joseph. So for anyone who hasn't had the opportunity to listen back to your first interview with us, will you just give us an overview of your career to date? No, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so I started sort of in, in CRM and loyalty um, for about 20 years ago, as you said. And uh, I was at the time I was working for ITV Digital. And, and I was providing wow. customer yeah. analytics and, and customer segmentation on their pay-per-view TV customers. Okay. Obviously, since then, you know, I've, I've uh, been involved in leading teams, working on customer management, CRM, and mm. loyalty. Yeah. And, and again, across different industries. So from media, financial services, high-tech, and direct-to-consumer. Yeah. And, and for the last five years, I've, I've been leading the European professional services team at Epsilon, again, with the aim of helping clients realize value from their data. Yeah. Um, the CRM and loyalty programs as well. Mm, 
Wonderful. Yes. And and actually what I should also mention is just to congratulate you, Joseph, because I looked back at episode 33. As I mentioned, it was April 2020 when we had our last conversation. And, you know, we would typically expect on this show maybe kind of four to five hundred people to listen or plays per show, as we call it. But I'm going to uh, give a big uh, reveal now. Your show had 840 plays of your interview. Well, thank so. you. <laughs> Hopefully we've done something right and uh, yeah, people are, yeah. are, are getting more interested in this industry for sure. They definitely are. Yes. Yeah. And there was a lot of change at the time. And as I think I said, a lot of concern, but I think we are coming out the other side now. So it just feels a lot more positive, I think. Do you feel the same? We, we do. We do. And, uh, and, we, and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing a lot of engagement, obviously around various different topics. Um clearly customers are using digital a lot more. They're going online, shopping online a lot more. Yeah. And now obviously with more and more companies um, realizing that, you know, the traffic is definitely changing. They're yeah. keen to understand, well, how do we, you know, how do we capture these customers? How do we talk to them differently? And what else can we do? You know, is there value in doing things like, you know, loyalty programs? So yeah. we're definitely seeing a lot of engagement around that and a lot of um, interest. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think it's it's really really great because again it's so all about innovating the experience right and and how do we make sure that digital is as strong if not stronger than than what we sometimes experience you know in, in a retail environment perhaps. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I think everybody is dealing still dealing with exactly what are those changes yes. and how do they start? <laughs> yes, to to quantify them, to plan for them. So you're absolutely right, and I do think retail is particularly a sector that has um has just had so much change to deal with. So people oh, are trying 100%. to yeah yeah, and I guess just to find the loyalty program, I think you were right to mention that Joseph. I do think there's a lot of us that tend to have to explain to senior management teams exactly what is the loyalty program contributing and particularly as we get into maybe more normal times you know we have to go back to this what's the return on investment for the loyalty program and exactly what's it bringing to the business again there's a kind of limited view of loyalty programs which is all around you know you'd use it as a retention strategy right but actually loyalty program in fact even crm programs you know strong crm programs it's really about you know building that that two-way communication, that two-way relationship with a with a yeah. consumer, and yeah. some channels you can do this really well, and sometimes you have to react, you know, yeah. very quickly, like what happens a lot on social, mm-hmm. right? But but within a loyalty program, brand has got so much control, and also you've got such a great opportunity to build such a strong relationship, and and if you don't see it that way as a relationship building exercise, and also as a you know, yeah. the value that it has um, that, that exists within the program, you know, your first body data the yeah. way you can engage with them and the way you can also use that data to support other programs um, within, you know, the wider marketing uh, mm. group and also you know, across product and also. So, mm. so, yeah, so, so I think, you know, when, when it comes to looking at loyalty as an investment, it's, it clearly has to be looked at beyond just a retention strategy. And, and, and there's so much that we can talk about on this topic as well. Well, this is exactly why I'm excited about today's show, Joseph, because I think we're certainly preaching to the converted in terms of, you know, the need for loyalty programs in, you know, our retention activities. Mm -hmm. But the idea that you were telling me you wanted to, um, I suppose, just create awareness around is the opportunity to use your loyalty program as a way to acquire new customers, which I think is quite controversial, actually. So I'd love you to explain, first of all, how can you um, really acquire new customers using your loyalty platform? Right now, we're hearing a lot about 
the fact that more and more people are using, um, you know, various different devices, and obviously, clearly, lots of lots of different um, browsers, and therefore, it's hard to to identify who these individuals are, especially when they're not logged in, right? Because we don't always kind of log in on every single site and on every single app. Sure. But it's it's also going to the problem is going to get even worse because we, there's this whole imminent sort of removal of digital identifiers. So yeah. we're talking about things like, you know, the third-party cookies that we're hearing from Google Chrome, for example, or the mobile identifiers that we've heard, yeah. um, you know, that came from the likes of Apple. Yeah. So when those identifiers start disappearing, what else have you got to fall back on, right? And, and again, mm. there are still lots of marketers out there that rely so much on third-party cookies for things such as, you know, performance campaigns, right, and, and, and digital campaigns. So loyalty has got this, um, well, loyalty programs have got this opportunity to leverage that first body data outside of just the loyalty program. And yeah. we'll talk about, you know, how do we how do we do that in terms of acquiring um, new customers, right, for loyalty programs. So it's yeah. just, I'm going to call it a, a three-step process. Okay. And, yeah. So step one, we're going to talk about, you know, having a foundational first body data, and I'll mm-hmm. explain that in a bit. Um, the second one is about building online identities and again, how do you go out doing that? Okay. And the third one, we're going to talk about, you know, how do we leverage these identities to find newer or, you know, new audiences within the wider marketplace? Okay. So, even Can I interrupt yeah. you for one second, Joseph? Just because I really do think that there is still a huge um, education piece around this idea that third-party cookies are disappearing. Um, and in some markets, I think that's that's well understood. And again, it was your colleague, Elliot Clayton, was the very mm-hmm. first person to explain to me the dramatic change that that was bringing in our ability as marketeers to really understand online behavior with all of that tracking capability. So I just wanted, I suppose, get a sense, Joseph, on, you know, you're based in the UK. I think you have a global remit, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, wonderful. So like, what is your experience in the awareness of this this problem and the current, I suppose, over-reliance on third-party cookies? It's 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 a mixed one, and I think some markets, especially the US, um, there's a lot of information um, being shared by okay. know, various different agencies and different companies about you know what it means to um, you know to lose um, for, you know third access to um, yeah. third party data, right? Which is mostly kind of driven by cookies. Yeah. Um, but they've also got you know a different legislation around how they collect data in yeah. markets like ours, especially you know both in the UK and in Europe. Yeah. You know, you've got things like GDPR. So therefore, you know, whenever you collect data, whether you do that through third party cookies or, you know, through zero or first party, mm-hmm. you're going to have to give, you know, um, individuals or customers right, a reason for collecting that data. Mm. And you don't have these different, you know, so many data providers out there that can simply um, share data with you mm. that you can easily match that with <laughs> cookies. Because in most cases, you know, you're, you're talking about a cookie. So mm. somebody who's not authenticated you don't really know who they are yeah right they're still an unknown entity yeah and, and you clearly know where they're browsing from and, and what kind of device they're using but mm. not so much information about you know who they are really and and uh, whether they transact with you online or offline so okay so yeah so losing already some of that information that you previously relied on to optimize your website and mm. to try and target them, you know, through digital channels, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's going to be a big problem. And, and again, you know, how do you go about targeting these individuals, right? Unless you start using the big, um, 
the bigger sort of walled gardens and ecosystems like the Facebooks of this world and the, and the Googles and the Amazons of this world. So yeah. it becomes a problem because it limits your ability to target. It limits your ability to identify and learn about these uh, mm-hmm. these consumers that are busy sort of browsing the net and looking from one one site to the next and, mm. and exploring uh, content and products that are out there. Totally, totally. Okay, so sorry, I interrupted you. Um, no, when no, we were, no problem. Yeah, so again, just to the, there's so many different, um, you know, countries listening to this show. So as I said, I still think there's a lot of education around that. So thank you for that. Um, and then I guess into this whole idea about, you know, first party data. Again, everyone listening to this show absolutely bought into that concept. But as you said, I think we've only been valuing our loyalty programs based on using that data to change behavior with those customers. But there is this opportunity now to look for new customers based on the data within the loyalty platform. So will you take us through these three stages that you mentioned um, you could use to, to, to do exactly that? Yes, absolutely. So we'll, we'll, we'll start with the, with the first stage, which we talked about earlier, which is, well, we need to have a good foundational first-party data, right? So an effective loyalty program offers a strong two-way value exchange in which, obviously, customers are encouraged to share their data, right? Mm -hmm. And in return, we will provide them with exclusive offers and personalized loyalty experience. We've already kind of talked a little bit earlier about the, you know, the Sparks program and how they use sort of some of their, you know, some smart ways to collect data in a privacy-compliant and transparent manner. So step one, Mm -hmm. you know, build the loyalty capability, with a strong value proposition yep. that helps you collect that first party data. Great. And this is where, you know, marketers can work with special specialist providers, you know, such such as uh, Epsilon, who've got experience in designing, implementing, and, and optimizing CRM and loyalty capabilities mm. in a privacy compliant manner. Mm. Um, now, the second step is about, you know, well, how do we build these online sort of, you know, um, profiles, right? And again, this is where we talk about you know, from an Epsilon standpoint, we talk a lot about building your own private identity graph. And, and this requires selecting an experienced and reliable partner that can match most of your first-party loyalty data, right, against a cookie-proof identity network like what we do at Epsilon. This means, you know, you match your first-party data with a scalable identity graph that can help you build these enhanced profiles that can be found both online and offline. So, so the step two is really about building these, you know, owning your own private identity graph that can help you identify both your existing members, but also non-customers or non-members that are browsing your sites, your apps, right? From mm. this, you know, with the power of this identity network. So and I- lastly, the, the, the last final step is really, okay, well, now that you've got these enhanced customer profiles, you know, we need to try and find a way of uh, finding new audiences like your best loyalty customers, right? Mm-hmm. And again, this tactic is commonly known in the media world as lookalike modeling, mm-hmm. and it helps okay. you build your prospective audiences and that you can target with the right offer at the right time. Okay. So um, so now, obviously, with the right identity partner that, you know, will have this kind of reach, this kind of strong market reach, right? You can also analyze Think about this, the size of your market opportunity online. You tell them, right, I've got these individuals. These are my best customers. Yeah. You know, what, how many of them are there in the market? And then once you know that, you can start devising um, appropriate strategies to go after these, mm. uh, these new opportunities. It sounds very clever. And I would love to understand more, Joseph, about what do you mean by a private identity graph? 
because again, step one, super clear. We're all really, you know, again, very happy with the, you mm-hmm. know, first party data collection and, and building an existing loyalty program. So what's a private identity graph? Is that something that you guys have built? And where does the data come from uh, yes. within that identity network? Epsilon, like, you know, some of um, other providers out there, um, they have got an end-to-end um, ecosystem, right? Where we um, have a combination, it's, it's affecting of it as a marketplace, right? Where you've got brands that act as publishers, right? Where they make their existing um, digital ecosystem available for um, okay. advertisers, right? To advertise. Um, okay. To, right? So they are exposing their audiences, they're exposing their digital properties to advertisers to be able to communicate their own value propositions. Now, the data that is um, flowing through that network yeah. is obviously something that um, we curate um, you know, very well as mm. an ecosystem. And then what, what really though happens is that each individual um, company that decides to um, leverage that network is able to look at, right, is this individual that is browsing my site or browsing my app yeah. Is this person already within this network? Can can I find this person within the network? And what else do we know about them? And again, we're not talking about necessarily sharing data between partners sure. right, or between different companies because every single one of them have got their own isolated yeah um, privacy um, built privacy. in. Privacy, yeah, exactly. Okay. But um, yeah, what we're specifically talking about here is the ability for us to tell them whether the individual is within the network. Okay. Right, and also whether that individual has. Um, whether we know any additional information about perhaps, you know, have they got any other devices? Have they got um, any other, um, is there any other information that we know about them? Like for example, you know, how often do they um, show up within this particular network? So it's it's information that gets layered on top of the client's first party data. Okay. Right. But then they have a stronger online identity because what we're telling them is, oh yes, of course, this individual has these devices. This individual has, um, and this particular online profile. So it's it's really about making sure that we're helping clients see them more than just a cookie. And again, with cookies disappearing, mm. right? You really need to be able to still mm. um, uh, find these individuals within a yeah. you know within within a network. Yeah, to be able to talk to them. For sure, yeah. And and what's striking me about that, Joseph, I like this um, this word you used about layering of data. Because as you said, so cookies, you know, had a place and will still have a place for for a short while. Mm -hmm. But the more, I suppose, mutually beneficial understandings we can build of our customer profile, it just makes us all more intelligent. And I guess, obviously, as you said, in an anonymous way, but I particularly like the piece about the devices insights, Joseph, because... I remember when I was um, I was on your event actually last year, the Persona Live event, mm-hmm. and Amy Lanzi was mentioning only about three to four percent of customer journeys actually overlap, and we all tend to think that you know people behave very similarly, but actually that's just not what happens. So you'll never know whether they're going to show up on the you know what type of device or where else they're shopping. So I think the more layers we can add, the more insights we're going to have. Absolutely. And all of this is also kind of, you know, again, it's it's all about compliance, right? So we don't track um, devices. We don't track individuals without yeah. their consent. Yeah. Right? And, and this is what we, you know, we make sure we always do like all responsible partners yeah. and responsible providers out there, right? You're doing this all within yeah. right, the boundaries of the law, but on top of that, also give them a, val- you know, a value, a reason why you're doing this. So mm. yes, we'd like to know a little bit more about you less. Yes, we want to 
be mm. able to identify you as an individual, but in return, you're doing that because you're providing a better personalized experience yeah. or, you know, much more um, relevant offers to mm. to what you'd normally do when, when yeah. you can't identify individuals. Yeah. And I know one of my favorite terms in our industry, Joseph, and I don't know if it's uh, if it's used actually in Epsilon as well, but I remember somebody using the words progressive profiling. Correct. And that's, that's exactly. <laughs> okay. So you're, you're obviously using the same term. I think that's a very clever one as well, especially for, again, I suppose people listening to this show who need to explain to other departments and other teams. And I think particularly, you know, this whole idea that very often in marketing teams, the acquisition marketing people sit in a separate department and are often very disjointed from the people who sit in loyalty. So the whole opportunity for these people to work together more closely with an understanding that, first of all, we can progressively profile our customers. And then, as you're alluding to, there's an opportunity to support the acquisition teams using that enhanced data profile. 100%, 100%. I mean, a lot of the time, obviously, with with acquisition, you're definitely dealing with a lot of platforms yeah. and, and channels, right? And, and sure. you're also potentially dealing with data that it's not necessarily yours. So yeah. you're making guesses around their demographics. You're making guesses around their location, the yeah. things they're interested in, right? And their current online intent. Yeah. Well, you've already got some of the information on your own existing properties. You've already got some of the information within your loyalty program, right? So wouldn't yeah. it be nicer if you actually leverage that to yeah. be able to inform your acquisition strategies? Mm. And again, we could do that for lots, you know, lots more other programs, not just acquisition in this case. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what would it look like then, I guess, for, you know, in your experience, different brands that are, mm -hmm. you know, looking at this type of approach, what does it deliver for them? Sure. So, so again, when, when we talk about implementation, right, um, we're talking about sort of targeting your best customers, right? We know that, you know, if you're targeting prospects that look like your best customers, you're, you're going to increase your chances of acquiring high potential value members mm. and also improves the return of your existing programs all at once, right? So there's kind of win-win yeah. on, on both sides there. Yeah. It's, it's what we call the quality over the quantity. And, and again, using... Nice. You know, the Pareto principle, right? You are aiming to have your sort of, you know, top 20 um, of your best customers, right? Delivering 80% of your future profits. Yeah. So if, if we can identify these prospects who look like your top 20 and build a strong acquisition program around them, then obviously we can entice them with stronger offers, right? That will convert them into high value program members. Yeah. And again, it's going back to that same kind of concept of having a strong identity, Right built from your existing loyalty member data will help mm -hmm. you experiment and test out these strategies, which is obviously going to be much easier than, than other acquisition initiatives that sort of we, we talked about a bit earlier, where you're targeting all sorts of different audiences, some of which might not at, the, at that point in time be interested in your loyalty program. Yeah. So, so the value of the kind of loyalty member data, right? As you can see, it doesn't stop there as well. Mm -hmm. um, you can leverage the same data, right? And yeah. the same identity to reach and retarget those lapsed loyalty members. So rather than just simply, right, using email perhaps or, or the traditional approaches, right? We can still go and retarget and we can still go and talk to them again via other um, digital and offline channels as well. So there's, there's a huge amount of value in that data. And again, it's all about 
getting different parts of the organization talking to each other and making them realize the value that they have already. Yeah, yeah. And again, I suppose going back to my own days running loyalty programs, Joseph, which I know you also did, of course, on the client side, it was always difficult to build the business case, you know, to, to, again, as we said earlier, justify sometimes the level of investment required to deliver programs of the scale and quality that we really need. And I guess as customers increasingly expect But if you can add in an extra concept and an extra um, value, I suppose, to, you know, as you said, informing the acquisition efforts to match the Pareto principle, the top 20%, not just any customer, but your most valuable customers. I think that kind of modeling could be incredibly valuable for brands. 100%. And and again, it's, it's about sort of sharing those learnings and those insights, right? If you've got so many insights about your customers, why yeah. can't we go and talk to other par- other departments and other parts yeah. of the organization about them? And, yeah. you know, it's a bit like becoming the customer champion, which is kind of what we're here, a lot of us talking about, right? But it's it's yeah. not just leaving it within the marketing team. It's going to go and talk to other parts of the organization, yeah. you know, show them the potential and then partner up with, yeah. with um, colleagues within the different departments and find out whether there's an opportunity to kind of, you know, leverage yeah. that, that potential right, across the organization. <laughs> Yeah. And I've said a few times, actually, just in the last few weeks, Joseph, that somebody mentioned a couple of weeks ago that um, loyalty is a very lonely business. And I I can hear also. Yeah. Well, I totally felt that because it feels like such a, you know, refined discipline that I always felt that internally, again, there was not a lot of people who really understood what we were doing in our department. So, I guess anything like this where you can show that added value, as you said, go and support your acquisition marketing colleagues. I just think it's good for the overall organization as a whole. Absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. The, you know, loyalty in the beginning, when you start a loyalty initiative, um, there's a lot of focus around the performance of the program itself. Yeah. And so therefore you tend to sort of narrow down, right? And focus on making sure that you're achieving a certain level of performance because that's what's being promised, right? Based on the business case that was developed originally. Mm. And and again, it, it kind of started from the get-go, focusing on specific goals. And but you know, the opportunity doesn't stop there. And again, as soon as the, the you know certain members within the team are able to go and talk to other stakeholders within the organization, right? They can start sharing these findings, these learnings. And again, yeah. they, they need to take it like a learning rather than just simply, oh, look, I've, I've met my numbers, I've, I've actually achieved my numbers. It's kind mm-hmm. of get excited about the potential, potential to go beyond just uh, yeah. Yeah, delivering on, on loyalty. Wow. So I can imagine everybody listening is wondering, um, you know, how much of this kind of work is is mm-hmm. happening in the loyalty industry worldwide. Joseph, can you share maybe some examples in your experience of of you know maybe clients that you've done this with? Yeah, of course, absolutely. And I've got I'll, I'll be talking about two examples, right, okay. from from different industries. Mm-hmm. And the first one is specifically um, from the hospitality industry. So we we work with a company called Preferred Hotels. Right, they're a, they're a chain of independent hotels, and they've got several sort of different um, locations around the world. And uh, they needed a solution to create stronger engagement for their I Prefer Rewards program members. Okay. Um, they already had demographic data and reservation data from their existing loyalty um, program, mm-hmm. but although they were sending personalized email marketing campaigns, right, and they were not happy with the level of engagement um, that they were getting from from these yeah. members. It's hard so, to cut through. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and so they tried, you know, like most of us would have done, right? Try to use 
different um, digital channels, right, to entice some of these members back. Okay. But again, they were focusing too much on converting existing side traffic and not really kind of drilling down and looking at, you know, what what was happening, what was going on with the high value labs members. Okay. So we work with them. We build their private ID graph, right, and and we help we help them. We actually help them to start delivering highly personalized digital promotions. Yeah. about their residences and about you know the different experiences and again all of this linked to you know each member's previously visited destination and reservations oh nice now, yeah this this solution actually delivered a combined 50% increase in both online engagement and email engagement and what's even nicer is that in the end it even delivered 15% lift in new reservations which is kind of really giving them sort of you know value beyond what they were expecting wow yeah well, I mean, again, we have a lot of people in the hotel industry, Joseph, who have obviously been through <laughs> a tough couple of years. But I suppose any campaign that you can demonstrate a 15% lift in reservations, that's that's a really impressive number. My oh, goodness. Absolutely. And and digital, you know, digital is one way to get some of that um, yeah. you know, um attention, right? Which obviously traditionally we've kind of relied on just a limited set of channels. But yeah, digital can open up yeah. you know, quite a lot more um, opportunities here. Yeah. Um then the second one that I want to talk about as well is uh, something from the retail industry. Um, it's a company called Rue 21. They're okay. a clothing and accessories retailer. Mm. Um, they've they've had transactional data. And again, they had some email data right, that they collected from um, their um, both point, point of sale systems and uh, their e-commerce site. But okay. they didn't quite know who their customers were and also what they'd like to shop you know, what they like to shop and where they like to shop. So, okay. so Epsilon, right, helped them design and implement a loyalty program. Mm-hmm. Again, help them identify who their customers are, both online and offline. Mm. We also help them incentivize them, right, to, to incentivize sorry, their members to complete their profiles. And again, through this exercise, mm-hmm. they were able to get some some really great insights. Um, so, so they discovered that 30% of their shoppers were actually parents buying for the children, right? which is really interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, Super and, important. And even, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And, and on top of that, even um, 40% of their shoppers came from a multicultural background. Wow. Now, yeah, no, no. It's, uh, it, it was incredible. But, you know, Rue 21 has a strong marketing team and and, and they're, they're really good. They reacted, you know, they actually acted, sorry, um, upon mm. the learnings, you know, really, really quickly on that. Yeah. So, First of all, they looked at how to improve their branding and photography, right, to reflect this um, multicultural membership that they've got. Mm. And they also started to um, improving their offers as well, this time with a focus on targeting parents during Mm. seasoned events, such as um, back to school. So, yes, it was was interesting how, obviously, you know, with a bit more of an additional focus on data and Mm -hmm. generating those customer insights, right, how can you then take that into your program to optimize and improve what you've already got. Yeah. Um, they, they were also very, very successful as well um, at using direct mail, right? Which some people might say, well, actually, that's a very old traditional channel. You know, where would you want to send, yeah. uh, you know, catalogs <laughs> and coupons, right, uh, to somebody's house? But actually, you know, they used it as a channel and, uh, and it helped them generate uh, incredible sort of incremental sales on top of what yeah. they already do online. Yeah. Um, and and now we're at the you know we're at a stage where we're helping Route Twenty One you know use their first party mm. data mm. to help them build um, prospective customer lists, especially mm-hmm. you know for online targeting, mm-hmm. but also size up prospective opportunities around you know some mm. of their bigger stores. So again, yeah. you know through the the power of the identity and the power of the um, ID graph, 
you know yeah what do we what else do we know about these individuals where where else do they live you know how close are they to these particular stores and and therefore you know how many other non-members are there out there that they can potentially target so again mm. it's it's a nice example of how in this case we've helped you know brands establish brands that have got some data but perhaps they didn't think they could do more with it and they they mm. couldn't use the loyalty program to help them achieve some of those goals so yeah so it's a uh, Hopefully, it's something that is also kind of interesting mm. and and maybe of of an interest as well to uh, yeah. to you know <laughs> listeners of this program. Totally, totally. And the first thing I'll say, Joseph, is obviously we'd love to get both Route Twenty One and Preferred Hotels to come on to Let's Talk Loyalty and share their experience as well, because I think there's incredible learnings in this whole concept. So definitely, we'll extend Agreed. that in- invitation straight away. And you had mentioned these two. Uh, brands to me just briefly, I suppose, um, in preparation for today. And I just even, I hadn't heard of the Route 21 brand, Joseph. So I just, of course, went straight to their website. And mm-hmm. the first thing that struck me was the multicultural visual imagery. It immediately impressed me. I was like, that is a brand that is at least practicing diversity. And I didn't know your perspective, obviously, in that they'd done the research, obviously, to understand the multicultural nature of their customers. But you can feel it immediately when you see how they're marketing themselves. No, 100%. And again, in in that case, I mean, in the case of Rue 21, not only did they obviously collect data from their program, but also they were getting a lot of feedback from the retail staff. And also we helped them find an, an additional data source. Um, which um, we've got partnerships with to also kind of enrich this additional kind of, you know, um, information around sort of, you know, yeah. the the background, the actual cultural backgrounds of some of these individuals. And, and I think that's that's yeah. very, very important as well, right? Because again, it's yeah. a little bit like trying to sort of um, <laughs> get yeah. a Western company to go and pr- promote their products in China, but totally. all your imagery right, looking like Western people rather than, you know, um, Asians in that market. And, and we all kind of go through this kind of learning experience, but yeah. this is kind of, you know, a really nice way of how, as I said, the, yeah. the marketing team is incredibly kind of switched on. And, and yeah. as soon as they've picked up on the, on those learnings, they went and acted on them straight away. Yeah. And again, really it's good. a great example because I think, you know, again, in traditional, you know, offline stores, you know, high street retailers, of course, understand their customer profile just from, you know, meeting them in store. But obviously with the last couple of years, the shift to online, you mm-hmm. don't get those cultural insights. So I think it is important to have a reactive marketing team that first of all asks those questions and then acts on them. Agreed. Wonderful. Wow. Well, listen, as I said, Joseph, um, I think we have come an extraordinary uh, way forward in the last two years. I think you guys are doing an incredible amount of work leading, I suppose, in terms of the thinking for loyalty marketeers. As I said, it was you guys who first told me about the cookie problem, which again, I was completely unaware of. So that was my first real learning from Epsilon. But now this whole concept of, I think you called it a private identity graph in Mm -hmm. terms of, as you said, mirroring your top 20% of your customers in order to acquire lookalikes. I think this is a wonderful concept. It it is, it is. And and again, you know, if you look at, um, you know, it's about looking at the potential um, that your loyalty program data can can offer you beyond just you know, right your existing yeah. loyalty members and uh, yeah, yeah no absolutely it's uh, yeah it's it's hopefully you know it inspires a few more other people to kind of to look at the value of loyalty beyond just uh, the yeah. program and, and and find opportunities to yeah. you know, to engage with both lapsed members but also to be able to go yeah. and find you know more people like their best customers as well. 
Wonderful. Well, on that note, I will say I have asked all of my questions, Joseph. Is there anything else you wanted to say for our listeners before we wrap up? Yes. I would like to leave your listeners with a simple message that a loyalty program is more than just a retention program. So let's start exploring how to unlock loyalty's full potential as an asset for value creation. With that said, I will say Joseph Taylor, Senior Vice President of Strategic Consulting and Operations for Epsilon. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks, Paula, for having me. Thank you. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy which has already certified over 245 executives in 27 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.